Hello, this is Tony Campolo, and the name of this show is From Across the Pond. Shane Claiborne and I are here every week at this time, and uh, we try to deal with what's happening in Christendom. We try to keep in touch with what's happening on the local level as well as on the international level. Today we're going to take a little more time uh, to deal with uh, Richard Rohr, uh, a Catholic theologian, a, uh, an activist, and a person who is widely read in Protestant circles in addition to his wide acceptance in the Catholic community. As a matter of fact, I think he's um, more widely accepted in the Catholic community uh, than the Protestant community, but that's changing quickly as <laughs> more, and more, yes. you know, yeah. more and more Protestants are into Richard Rohr. We do a program every week at this time, and we promote red-letter Christianity. And Richard Rohr is a promoter of red-letter Christianity. You probably have heard the term red-letter Christians somewhere, and if you haven't, hear it now. Uh, we're people who uh, have become very concerned with the word evangelical. Uh, it, in the United States, it is often uh, referred to as the base for Donald Trump. As a matter of fact, there is good evidence that Donald Trump would not be uh, president of the United States if it wasn't for white evangelicals supporting him so solidly. And you say, I don't believe that. Uh, are you American evangelicals crazy or something? Uh, don't you know about his lifestyle? Uh, I mean, he's, his business uh, dealings uh, have been enough to raise questions. Um, I think something like 25 bankruptcies. And uh, there's a special in, in American television right now that in every bankruptcy, everybody lost money except for Donald Trump. He was always able to legally figure out a way to come out with $30, $40 million profit at the end of a bankruptcy. Uh, I mean, he's a finagler if ever there was one. And then, of, of course, his sexual behavior has raised many questions among uh, Christians around the world, saying, how can evangelicals be in love with this president whose lifestyle is such a contradiction to the ethics that Christians have maintained over the years? But most important to guys like Shane and myself is his policies are hard on the poor. Uh, right now, he's in the process of ending programs that will drive at least 12 million more people who are right on the borderline of poverty out of the middle class into poverty, ending medical programs, educational programs, uh, ending uh, all kinds of uh, health programs for the poor. Uh, how can you support a guy who's cutting these programs that have uh, helped the poor? As evangelicalism has uh, taken a turn away from where it was in the 70s and 80s, where it was an avant-garde movement for the poor and the oppressed. It's now allied itself with one of the richest men in the world who is uh, putting out new programs and taxation that benefit the rich and hurt the poor. And we're saying, uh, we red-letter Christians, what's going on here? Mm. So some of us have gotten together and have started this movement called Red Letter Christians. We're very sensitive to what we're hearing among uh, uh, progressive evangelicals. Um, they say we, we don't want to identify with the evangelical movement anymore. First of all, we're into a deeper kind of spirituality than we've, uh, we find in evangelicalism. 
We, we are into a deeper kind of spirituality that nurtures the soul. And that's, of course, where Richard Rohr comes along. Uh, and when I look at all the books that are out there uh, in the Christian bookstores, what few of them are left. They're dying left and right because of the Internet. People are ordering books on the Internet rather than through a Christian bookstore because they can get them cheaper on the Internet than they can uh, from Christian bookstores. Uh, so Christian bookstores are dying. But when I, I and, go and in— a lot of the Christian bookstores ban the good Christian books. Too, that's right. You know, so. <laughs> we're a part of their own demise. In this respect, Shane, you and I fall into the category— they're not carrying our books these days. <laughs> uh, if you want to get our books, you either have to order them on Amazon or you have to uh, uh, go to some progressive bookstore, and there aren't many of them left. Incidentally, I know we're on a little side note here, but like one of the really cool things we just added to the redletterchristians.org website is a bookstore of some really great books, including Richard Rohr's and your books and a lot of our friends. But uh, there's new authors that are coming out that a lot of people haven't heard of, and and their their message is Jesus and justice. So it's awesome. And and, uh, how does one access that bookstore? Yeah, they can go right to redletterchristians.org and uh, click on the the bookstore there. There's, There's a lot of links up. And you can also just click on people, and you'll see all the the different uh, harmony of voices. We we say at Red Letter Christians, we're harmonizing but not homogenizing. So it's a diverse bunch of folk. Good, good luck. Love Jesus and love justice. You know, uh, so just... Richard's one of those, though. He's been really supportive over the years. He's been one of those that I like, you know, when we first met R- Richard, um, he, he said he was a evangelical Catholic or a charismatic Catholic. Yeah. You know, he's, he's um, deeply in love with Jesus. He also talks a lot about mysticism, yeah. you know, and, and um, that's part of what uh, I think where we resonate with him, too. He's not just about doctrines, but about uh, lifestyle Christianity. You know, whenever you use the word mysticism, and uh, Richard Rohr uses it often, yeah, and we use it often, we call ourselves mystics, we get all kinds of feedback that's negative, saying, uh, mystical, you're into mysticism, uh, you must be New Age people, you're into the New Age movement, aren't you? Uh, the reality is that we're not. Uh, if you mean by re- new age movement, these people who are, you know, out there meditating uh, on mountains and on the moon and, uh, you know, are into all kinds of uh, spiritual but not Christian activities, uh, we're not there. But we're mystics. And you say, what do you mean by mystics? Well, we have, in fact, contended that And this is where Richard Rohr is as well, this Catholic theologian and Christian leader. He says, you know, we've intellectualized Christianity. You know, uh, the 20th century was into people saying you get close to Jesus the more you learn. And we've neglected uh, spiritual disciplines of prayer and meditation and stuff like that uh, so that people uh, don't know how to get in contact with God. They, they read books about God, but there's a big difference between knowing about somebody and have a personal relationship with that somebody. Yeah, I, I uh, heard, I think it was our friend Mark Laberton uh, from Fuller Seminary uh, that uh, gave a great sermon on uh, climbing Mount Everest. And he said, he gave this whole beautiful sermon about how he had just been to the gift shop but he thought he had climbed the mountain. <laughs> He's like, I did all the, I watched all these videos. I did all this. I read all about Mount Everest, 
but uh, he's like, most of the church has only been to the gift shop. They yeah. actually haven't climbed the mountain, but they act like they have. Good, good illustration. I, uh, I, I have this to say that uh, uh, I sometimes ask my students, uh, what can you tell me about George Washington? Oh, they know all about George Washington. I say, well, have any of you ever met George Washington? And they look at you like, you must be crazy. Uh, he's dead. He's been dead for a couple of hundred years. Yeah, that's the point, isn't it? Uh, you know all about a man, but you never met the man. There are people all over Christendom who know all about Jesus, but have never really met Jesus. And what Richard Rohr is into is having this personal, transformative relationship with, with the risen Christ. And incidentally, he does uh, make a difference between Christ and Jesus. Hmm. Christ became Jesus, but before Jesus ever existed here in time and space, Christ was. Hmm. Christ the cosmic was, Christ. Yeah, yeah, the cosmic Christ. Christ was before Jesus was ever born. And uh, he talks about the fact that the eternal Christ, the cosmic Christ, or as he calls him, the universal Christ, universal Christ yeah. has had a, a, at least three incarnations. There it is. He incarnated him first in nature. And uh, the question that Richard Rohr would ask is, are you able to go on a walk in, in the woods? Uh, are you able to sit by the sea and feel the presence of Christ in nature? Have you ever been able to feel the presence of Christ in nature? Good question to ask, because the same Christ who was incarnated in Jesus the same Christ who on the cross was reconciling the world to himself, that same Christ had incarnated in himself in, in, in nature. And Richard Rohr makes a point of this, doesn't he? Mm -hmm. And he says, uh, are you able to feel Christ's presence in everything, not just uh, in church? Uh, the presence of Christ, he incarnates himself in the natural world. And then the ultimate incarnation of Christ was in Jesus in Jesus, Christ was fully revealed, as it says in the book of Hebrews, at least five times. In, in the uh, life of Jesus, we see the full incarnation of Christ in human form. But uh, Christ is a third incarnation, he would point out. And that third incarnation is the church. Hey, this is Shane Claiborne and Tony Campolo. The name of the show is Across the Pond. We're going to dive right back into things here in just a second. But we're talking about red-letter Christianity. And this week we're, we're talking about Richard Rohr. We're talking about the uh, mystics and the mystery of Jesus. You had just said, Tony, that uh, the, these different incarnations of Christ, one of which is Jesus, yeah. um, uh, you know. The uh, ultimate, but, but, the uh, ultimate uh, one certainly is Certainly the Jesus. pinnacle of his, but uh, that... that Christ was revealed in nature. Christ is also manifest in the body of Christ being yeah. the church. Yeah, please grasp this, because I don't think we pay enough attention to the church. Uh, they call it in theology, ecclesiology is very weak. That's a fancy way of saying we haven't paid enough attention to what the church is. Generally, people say, I know what the church is. The church is a group of people meeting together to worship. Well, it's much more than that. If it's really an event, the Holy Spirit came upon a group of Christians in an upper room 2,000 years ago. The Holy Spirit came upon them, 
and they became the church. The day of Pentecost, the church was born, and and the church becomes, I'm quoting from Romans, the eighth chapter, the body of Christ. You say, well— Living, breathing organism, yeah. not an organization. I heard someone say— uh, Referring to a church as a building is like referring to people as two by fours. And, and yeah, <laughs> you know, it's actually good. a breathing, living thing. Yeah, and uh, it, when you say the church is the incarnation of Christ in the contemporary world, that the same Christ that expressed love and revealed God two thousand years ago in Jesus is supposed to be in us, revealing. Uh, revealing Christ through us. You say, well, it's not the same thing. Let me quote from Romans, the eighth chapter. Listen to it carefully. Go to your Bible, turn to Romans 8, and you'll read these words. And the same Spirit that was in Jesus shall be in your mortal bodies. Did you get the words? The same Spirit, the same Christ Spirit that was in Jesus that raised him up from the dead. Read your eighth chapter of Romans. That same spirit shall be in your mortal bodies. The church are people in whom the Christ that was in Jesus is in us, living out love and justice in our contemporary world. It seems like it's why Jesus says, too, that where two or three of you gather in my name, I'm with you. Like, like God dwells with us in that community of the church. And it can exist in a building. It can exist out of a building. Yeah. Jesus seemed to do both, right? He's going to synagogue. He's doing Passover. He's uh, he's Jewish, but he's also—it's uh, it's not that the Spirit is confined to the temples, but uh, transcends them. So I love that when— Jesus is dying like the veil of the temple is ripped open. And I think one way of, of understanding that is that God is no longer um, just just in the temple. God is healing with mud and spit and in the real stuff of this world that God God exists inside the institutions and outside of them. And sometimes we, we uh, sort of hold God hostage. Yeah. And uh, the, what you just said uh, in the book of Ephesians, Paul writes uh, that that Christ broke out of the temple, mm. and he is now alive in us, and quote-unquote, we are now the temple of the Lord, that Christ dwells in us. And the question that I ask of our listeners, and I ask of my con- little congregation at St. John's Baptist Church in South Philadelphia, is Christ in you? Mm. Because we're not a church unless Christ is in you, unless you have surrendered and asked Christ to become a living vital power in your life. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, it says in Romans, uh, the first chapter. It is the power of God. It is the energy of God. A church has energy if Christ is in this group living out love and justice. So we, we act like we uh, know what this is all about, but uh, it's that's why we like mysticism, because we're talking about stuff that like, yeah. <laughs> you know, when Paul says the life I live, I no longer live, but Jesus lives in me. Uh, what a wild idea that the God of the universe is living and dwelling inside of us. And and that's that's why I think it's hard to just uh, narrow this down to a bunch of uh, doctrinal statements or something. But we're talking about this living being that exists in us, that we're the temples of God now. It's a pretty wild idea. Jesus says in the uh, 12th, uh, 13th, 14th, 15th chapters of John, if we read in those passages— Jesus says, I'm going to leave you. And the, the disciples panic. And he says, if you knew why I was leaving you, 
you wouldn't be upset. You'd be rejoicing because if I leave you, I will come again as the Holy Spirit and I will be in you. There's the word, in you. Jesus says, I've been with you. When I come back next time, I'm going to be in you. And because I'm in you, the work that I do, you will be able to do. And then he adds this in 14.12, John 14.12, the work that I do, ye shall do. Here it comes. And greater works than these shall ye do, because I go unto my Father. Mm. The love and justice that I was trying to spread abroad during my earthly sojourn here with you disciples. When I leave you, I'm going to come back and I'll be in the church. And the church will express love and justice. And because there are millions of us, hundreds of millions of us around the world, if we were all working for the love and justice of God, the world would be transformed. And that's what we're called to do. Mm. Uh, This is one of the great themes of Richard Rohr, as he helps us to understand that Christ is not just uh, alive in a historical figure 2,000 years ago. That same Christ is trying to express love and justice through all of those who are open to him, who are surrendered to him, Mm. in whom he dwells. Mm. Uh, I, I guess that's almost too much for... When we say we're mystics, we're saying that's not just a rational thing. That's not, just a, yeah. that's not just a theological, what an interesting doctrine. And what Richard Rohr is saying, the church is so caught up in being intellectual that it fails to see that it, a living, mystical presence of Christ in our lives, mystical in the sense that it cannot be reduced to something that is academic, that is something that is rational. That's what we mean by mystical. And, you know, Richard's a, a France, he's a part of the Franciscan uh, order, the, the Order of St. Francis. And you told me this story a while ago, Tony, I, I, about uh, a time that the church tried to get together and they had all the theologians try to agree. And then they had all the mystics that kind of <laughs> tell that story. That's well, a good yeah. one. Uh, once a year, I was in Washington, D.C., and I had a kind of accidental luncheon with the head of the Franciscan order here in the United States. Mm. And he told me that every 10 years or so, Franciscans have what they, I think they call it a hermitage. They get as many Franciscans together in one place as possible to have fellowship and prayer. Kind of like the Red Letter Christian movement tries to get people together from time to time so we can have a symbiotic, that's a good word, symbiotic relationship. We can help one another to grow in Christ. Well, they do this. And uh, so they got all these Franciscans together, priests and monks and what have you. And uh, since they were doing this in Bangkok, which is basically a Buddhist uh, city, uh, the capital of a Buddhist nation, uh, they decided uh, that this is what they would do. They would have all the Buddhist theo- uh, philosophers, because that's what they would call them, philosophers, and all the Christian uh, Franciscan theologians go off by themselves and see if they could come up with some common ground. Mm-hmm. They had all the uh, Buddhist uh, monks. Contemplatives, yeah, prayer. The, yeah. Those who, yeah. Yeah, who have times where they say nothing, they just sit alone and try to feel the presence of the, of the transcendental, the, uh, the uh, mystical realities that lie beyond time and space. 
and all the Franciscan monks, all the monks go off together and just have a week of praying together. At the end of the week, when everybody came back, the, those theologians and philosophers were at, at each other's throat. These people don't understand what we're talking about. They, we have no common ground. <laughs> we have no way of being friends with each other. On the other hand, those who went away and spent the week praying and just fellowshipping in the Spirit came back, Buddhists and Christians hugging each other. Mm. Uh, what does that say? Uh, what does that tell us? Uh, does it say that uh, Christ transcends our theologies and our philosophies? Mm. And when people are open to the Spirit, wonderful things happen. Mm. That one of the prayers that I learned when I was in India with uh, the Missionaries of Charity, Mother Teresa's Order, is every morning we would pray that every person we come in contact with would feel Jesus in our soul, yeah. that we would leave off the fragrance of Jesus everywhere we go. Oh. That, that, that was one of our That's first. An interesting and it was phrase. also why we had uh, communion every morning. You know, and one of the nuns said, we are what we eat. Yep. And she's like, that's the mystery. That's the, the, the mystical side of the Eucharist is that we are being transformed by this and we are the presence of Jesus in the world. When you said that uh, uh, story about Mother Teresa saying we carry this presence into the world, um, I can't help but remember a story that I've used as a sermon illustration. Um, this guy goes to this uh, town uh, in Europe, I guess it was in Switzerland, and he got off the train, and he was going to see a friend of his, and when he got off the train, the odor in the air was lovely, this lovely smell. Uh, I mean, it was like there was perfume all over the place, I, and he, he couldn't believe what a lovely odor uh, permeated uh, this town. And when he met his friend, he said, am I imagining it? Or is there a a lovely odor like flowers everywhere I turn in this town? His friend said, oh, no. He said, we have a big perfume farm factory in this town. And almost everybody in the family, in the, in the town, works in this perfume family, uh, in this perfume factory. And the perfume in the factory permeates their bodies. So that when it's 5 o'clock and it's now 5.30, when they leave the factory, they carry the odor with them. And everywhere they go, they, they, they uh, permeate the air with this odor of flowers from the factory. And that's, uh, and that's what that's you're deep. smelling. That's deep. And that's basically it. We're people of God. We come together and in worship, the Holy Spirit, if we are really open to the Holy Spirit, falls upon us, permeates our being, and as we go out in the world, uh, we become, and the scripture actually says in one place, you are God's perfume, you are an odor that you carry forth into the world. Mm. Would that all Christians understood this and in fact made themselves available to the Spirit in that way. It gives new meaning to Stanley Hauerwas's line. You know, he's a great uh, friend and writer and thinker uh, down in North Carolina. He says that Christians are meant to be like air fresheners in the bathroom. <laughs> We're to leave off the fragrance of Jesus. So there you go. Now the perfume and the story world is adds like, a new dimension to the it. The world is like a bathroom with a lot of lousy odors in it, and we've come to change the odors, to change the atmosphere, to, to, to make sure that uh, the, the whole thing is changed. Uh, what a wonderful illustration 
Women always smelled that good, though. Yeah. So they smell more like the yeah. toilet than the, yeah. the air freshener. And his whole idea of communion impacts me. I'm a Baptist. Uh, the Catholics believe that in Holy Communion, the bread becomes the actual flesh of Jesus, and the wine is miraculously transformed literally into the blood of Jesus. I'm not there. But I do have to say, as I will this coming Sunday, because it's Communion Sunday at our church, that when I take the bread and I drink the cup, I feel something happening to me. I feel the presence of Christ uh, flowing into me. Uh, This bread and this wine that I drink, it does impact me, does feed my soul. So I don't know how to theologically unpackage that. But what Richard Rohr says, when you take communion, you feel the presence of Christ in a unique and wonderful way. When we take communion in our Baptist church, there is a silence. There is a presence that we feel when we're taking the bread and drinking the cup that changes us. So there, I've made the point, and I guess we're coming to the end of the show. Uh, And uh, this is uh, Tony Campolo and Shane Claiborne. Tell us a little bit more as we sign off. Yeah, so you can go to our website, redletterchristians.org, and find out all kinds of uh, great stuff. There's a really beautiful place there where uh, you can can sign up for the movement. You can take a pledge, which is is, uh, basically just says, I want to take Jesus seriously with my life. I want to seek first the kingdom of God uh, with everything that I am. So go to our website, redletterchristians.org. We're out of time this week, but thanks so much for joining us. Go into the world and be the body of Christ for the world today.